When was the last time you truly felt a sense of urgency? Something that you had to get done, and if you didn't, there was going to be severe consequences. Like you this past week, I've been watching those scenes coming out of Ukraine. Hundreds of thousands of people fleeing, trying to get to the border. They're predicting it's going to be millions of people trying to get to the border. Trying to flee ahead of an army, being controlled by a demonically controlled man. You see, if they wait too long, the Russians will cut them off. They won't be able to get out of the country. So these men, these brave men and women, are trying to get to the border and get their families in the hands of people they trust these NATO-controlled countries that they believe will harbor their families so they won't be subject to the murder that's awaiting them if they don't. The truth is, we all have a desire to be somewhere safe, don't we? A place that's safe for our families, a place that's free from danger, but in order to have that, we have to have people and places that we trust. And if we're going to be honest, we know that deep down that there is nowhere in this world that is totally safe. There's no place that is totally safe. There's no person that we can trust 100% because we don't know what everybody would do in every situation. The truth is, there is only a single person we can trust. And the question I want to talk about this morning, well, what are the signs of distrust? And am I trusting in Jesus Christ? Do you have that trust in you this morning? Because I think, if anything, we are getting a lesson in just how volatile the world that we live in is. And who knows what this man is going to do if after his first pinpointed attack is unsuccessful. How far will he go? There's never been a time like now that makes us ask the question, am I truly trusting God? And what are the signs in my life that I may be distrusting God? Am I trying to create a God of my own liking? Am I trying to create a God who's safe even though I don't necessarily trust in Him? And I'm, my message to you, especially who may be here this morning, who are questioning if you've truly put your trust in Jesus Christ. You heard the gospel from Pastor Kevin once this morning already. That was not by accident. And one of my concerns is what's going on in Russia shouldn't be seen as one isolated event, but rather perhaps a precursor to what's coming. As a matter of fact, we have every promise in the Bible that things are going to get worse before they ultimately get better. This morning, we're going to take a look at a crowd who doesn't realize that time is of the absolute essence. They have a short time with this person, Jesus Christ, on earth, and then he's going to be gone. And they're showing every sign that they don't trust him. The passage I want to look at comes from John chapter 7, 
We're looking at verses 14 through 31, John chapter 7, starting at verse 14. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. John chapter 7, starting at verse 14. But when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews then were astonished, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been educated? So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he was seeking the glory of the one who sent him. He is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you carries out the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon who seeks to kill you. Jesus answered them, I did one deed, and you all marvel. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken. Are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? Look, he's speaking publicly and they're saying nothing to him. The rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, do they? However, we know where this man is from, but Whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. Then Jesus cried out in the temple, teaching and saying, You both know me and know where I am from. And I have come, not, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to seize him. And no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. But many of the crowd believed in him, and they were saying, When the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has. Will he? You may be seated. We're continuing to march through the book of John, where we see that Christ is our living hope. We sang this morning. And I'll go on to say, he's the only living hope. He's the only hope, period. He's it. The book of John was written so that people would believe. And last week we saw that among those following Jesus, there were true disciples, there were false disciples, and the teaching of Christ would raise hostility. And we see it in this passage this morning. They're ready to kill him. They can't stand what he has to say. It's violating what they thought was true, but in reality, they have so, so much. The teaching of Christ is not met with neutrality. And this morning we see some telltale signs of distrust in who Jesus is and the effects of that. This morning I want to look at this. We want to see two signs of distrust and then the consequence of distrust. Two signs of distrust. We need to check our hearts. All of us are guilty of some level of distrust. And then we'll see the consequence of the ultimate distrust in Christ. So we left off last week with the mixed responses of the crowds who Jesus was addressing. And 
Jesus, against the wishes of his half-brothers, refrained from going to the feast. And he finally makes his way there, this feast of booths or tabernacles. He shows up on the second day, and he steps into the temple, and he begins to teach. And the people were there, and they were listening. And as they listened, they were, they were impressed. And it raised questions among the Jews. Well, how does he know so much without studying? You know, he's kind of like that kid in class that just makes you mad. I mean, how come he knows so much? You know, uh, he's breezing through things. And, and why did they ask this? Well, education was very important to these rabbis. A rabbi was a, it's just the name of a Jewish teacher of the law. You know, now we have teachers and pastors. Uh, but, but how you were educated and where you were educated was a big deal. And in the New Testament, if you go to the book of Acts, Paul talks about his own education at the school he went to. They want to know, look, what are your credentials, pal, to be doing what you're doing? Who, who died and made you God? You know, he's speaking that way. And Jesus proceeds to explain to them not so much how he was educated, but who's teaching he's giving them. And as it turns out, Jesus, obviously, he's got divine diplomas. And God has given him the teaching he's providing to the people. And he tells them if they were willing to do the will of God, they wouldn't be asking such questions. He also goes back to one of the themes that we talked about last week, about glorifying God versus yourself. He tells them, look, if I was glorifying myself, I would just give you what my, my teaching. He said, well, I'm giving you the teaching of the Father. He said, I'm here to glorify the Father. That's why I'm here. And this divine revelation, as it seems, is assessed from the inside, from that perspective. The person who chooses to do God's will discovers that Jesus' teaching explains God's will. That Jesus does not speak on his own, but as the word of God. He, further, he further accuses them of, of not keeping the law. That They all knew the law came from Moses, but keeping the law is connected to doing the will of God. David said it very well back in Psalm 40. I desire to do your will, oh my God. Your law is within my heart. There's a connection there between the law and the will of God. He's saying if you understood the law, if you were doing it, guess what? You'd be listening to me right now. That's why the question comes up at the end of verse 19. Why do you seek to kill me? Murder is against God's law. So the crowd questions Jesus' competence as a teacher, but he's questioning their competence as hearers. And clearly education isn't everything. These men are trained and, and still not believing Jesus, and it shows that faith is the prerequisite of understanding. And anyone who doesn't believe he is who he says he is is not going to understand what he's saying. There was an element of faith that was needed. And, and so then how did the crowd respond? Well, they said, well, you have a demon. Now, literally what they're saying is, well, this is, this is crazy talk. You're nuts. Who's trying to kill you? I mean, you sound like the ravings of a madman. Then he explains in verses 21 through 24 why the crowd is angry with him. He brings together some really important thoughts. Evidently, they're still angry about him <clears throat> healing a paralytic on the Sabbath. That happened a few chapters back. But then he makes another interesting uh, argument. You know, it was so strict, the rules were so strict on the Sabbath that evidently you couldn't, 
They didn't think he could heal someone, which is odd. Um, but then he made another argument. See, they understood the law to tell them that if a boy's circumcision was to fall on the, the Sabbath, that is eight days after a child was born, if that eighth day uh, the, fell on the Sabbath, they were to go ahead and perform the circumcision anyway. Now, why is that? Well, they believed it was both healthy for the nation of Israel, and it was caring. They viewed it as caring for just a single part of the body. Now, it seems like an odd way of caring, but that's how they viewed it. And it had to be cared for on the eighth day. And, and then how much more, Jesus is saying, look, I'm caring for the entire person. If it, and it perfects the whole body if it's saving a life and... This healing I did should have the same precedence as a circumcision. Then he says there's superficial judgment about what was legitimate activity for the Sabbath resulted in a superficial judgment about who he was. So this first point, and you need to change this in your, if you're looking at your outline. I put questions in the outline, but actually it's needless concerns demonstrate distrust. It's the concern that is underlying the question. So mark out question and put concern if, you're, if you've got the outline. You know, dumb questions they're asking. You know, they're concerned about his education. They're concerned about him healing on the Sabbath. Namely, they don't trust that he is who he says he is. But now see, if we're going to be honest, even those who do trust Christ, we still suffer from this malady of needless concern. We still found ourselves trapped with worry. And you know, they've actually researched and found out that 91% of what we worry about never happens. 91% never happens. And, um, you know, oftentimes we're trying to sleep and we can't because we're thinking about this thing that may happen the next day. And uh, it can cloud our vision of tomorrow, what might happen, how a hope could be dashed. I know how it goes. And I've got this, this five-year-old who's terribly afraid that we're going to have a tornado in the middle of the night. And, you know, I, I try to tell him, son, this, I don't know when or if they've ever had a tornado in Sheridan. Maybe. If, if they have, don't just keep it to yourself, okay? If it's, <laughs> keep that to yourself. There was a researcher of worry said, what breaks my heart about worry? He said, it makes you miserable in the in the present moment, to try and prevent misery in the future. For chronic warriors, it leads them to be continually distressed all their lives in order to avoid later events that, that never happen. That worry sucks the joy out of the here and now. And remember what Christ said. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? This from the man who said some of the scariest things ever uttered by a human being on the earth. And he's also saying, don't worry. These people with these concerns, they're demonstrating their lack of trust with this needless questioning and concern. Christ wants us to enjoy freedom from concern, and that requires a deep trust in Him. So we see that first sign of distrust in Christ. It's pointless concerns. And it can happen over minor doctrinal issues that you can't get straightened out. It, it, these are the kinds of things that we need not be concerned about. 
What earthly school was Jesus educated in? And then a new scene begins in verse 25. Jesus has now spoken. The people have taken notice at his authority and his challenge to the Jewish leaders. And the crowd is standing in awe of the lack of response of the leadership. They're like, can you hear what he's saying? You're just like standing around. You're You're not doing anything about it. So it has them wondering, well, maybe this this is the Messiah. I mean, if he was a huckster, then they would have locked him up by now. But they start questioning something else because they had wrongly believed that the Messiah would have earthly origins. Did you catch that? That's certainly not a scriptural idea. The the Old Testament was very clear, Micah 5, 2, Messiah's birthplace would be Bethlehem. But they missed that. So then Jesus makes a bold claim in verses 28 and 29. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from. But I've not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. So Jesus said, look, I had heavenly teaching that I brought to you. I'm from heaven. That's my place of origin. And this is a big claim. And the Jews would have been floored by this. I mean, a Messiah could claim to have come from God, but he's claiming something much deeper now. To be powerfully sent as a personal liaison and a confidant. And he's God's son. Who now has authority in Jerusalem, not by virtue of his education, but by virtue of his origins. And some believe because of the signs that he performed. Look at verse 31. Yet many of the crowd believed in him and said, whenever the Christ comes, he won't perform more miraculous signs than this man did. Will he? This was not a strong basis for faith. John said that earlier. They concluded he was the Messiah, but they were expecting a powerful human deliverer. They probably not put the pieces together that this man is God. So their doubts stemmed from this complete misunderstanding about where Jesus came from. And you and I were also going to struggle to understand God, but that shouldn't be surprising. Every Thursday night, I've been teaching class, we've been talking about very deep aspects of God, and some of them are very hard to understand. And as a matter of fact, I had a, a little guy about seven years old come up to me and said, he said, Pastor Chad, why did God make Satan if he knew that it would cause Adam and Eve to sin? Whoa! I had to dive into the gray matter on that one. It's a solid question. I think this, we've got the makings of a real theologian in this little boy. Truth is, God's kept many secrets. There's certain things he's revealed, and, and that what's, that's what makes faith possible. There's certain things he's kept secret, and that's what makes faith necessary. And Paul says, now I know in part, in 1 Corinthians 1.12. We know in part, and that is why we have to walk by faith and not by sight. Just as it's part of Christian faith to say that we know what God has revealed. It is part of Christian humility to say that we do not know what God has kept secret. And the world will often say to believers, well, well, how do you...
explain this as if faith depended on having all the answers. We don't have all the answers. If we had all the answers, we wouldn't need faith. It's what we call a tension, not a contradiction. But these, this crowd was not willing to accept the tension, and denying tension demonstrates distrust. Now, what do I mean by this, this tension? Well, it's things that come up in Scripture that we accept that we really don't understand. I've brought it up before that on the one hand, yes, we are 100% chosen by God if we are saved. On the other hand, we are 100% responsible if we choose not to put our faith in Christ. Those are both true. Just like we serve and worship a God who is three persons, and yet He's one God. A God who chose to create the possibility of evil. The possibility of it. And if you try to deny these tensions, you end up practicing an unbiblical Christianity. As a matter of fact, if you try to solve all those tensions, you'll end up believing something heretical and you'll have a God of your own making. A God of your own design. We have to trust what the Bible tells us to challenge and, and correct our thinking. And, and how could you ever have a personal relationship, a trusting relationship with a God that, that couldn't contradict you. See, that's not the way relationships work. Tim Keller wrote in his book called Counterfeit Gods. He said, you can look at the example of those movies, The Stepford Wives. Have you ever seen, made a terrifying movie, they made a comedy, but um, they, these men in this town of Stepford, Connecticut, they decided they didn't really want their, their real wives. They wanted a robotic replica of their wives. See, they wanted a wife uh, that would never contradict them, that would be 100% compliant all the time. But the thing is, you can't have a relationship with that. That's not an intimate, personal relationship. And, and what happens if you eliminate anything from the Bible that offends your sensibility and crosses your will? That if you pick and choose what you want to believe and reject the rest, how will you ever have a God who can contradict you? You won't. You're going to have a Stepford God of your own making. Then Keller goes on to say, only if your God can say things that outrage you and make you struggle, as in a real friendship or marriage, will you know that you have gotten hold of a real God and not a figment of your imagination. So an authoritative Bible is not the enemy of a personal relationship. It is the precondition for it. So denying tension demonstrates distrust. Trusting God accepts the tensions that come up in the Bible, the things we don't understand. So those are the two signs. I want to look at this consequence of distrust in Christ now. We see the final part of questioning in verses 32 through 36. The scene shifts from those in the crowd, the commoners, and now the leaders, who after hearing the mutterings of the crowd, decide it's time to arrest Jesus. The crowd sought to do it back in verse 30, but now the matter has become more serious. He's more authoritative. In their attempt to arrest him, though, he just keeps talking. And then look at verse 33 and 34. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. Listen to 34 carefully. It's as true now as it was then. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. 
time is running out. His time on earth is running out. After Jesus left them, many Jews would seek their Messiah. They wouldn't find him. It's been happening ever since Jesus ascended. It's going to continue happening until he returns to earth at his second coming. Jesus was talking about his death. They were trying to make sense of it. And, and those who were listening, down in verses 35 and 36, they revealed their thoughts. They thought, well, maybe he's just going to go and then spend time with the Greeks as opposed to the Jews. And Jesus told them they could not come there. Why? Because they didn't believe. This is a haunting truth. The consequence is distrusting God wastes time. I think that you, like I, are feeling it. I don't know if we are standing at the end of time or not. But things aren't getting better. You see, at some point, we have to come to a realization that the only thing standing between you and I and the hordes of hell and the lake of fire is a man named Jesus Christ. And you had better put your faith in him today. You don't know if you've got till the end of this service to put your faith in Jesus Christ. This might be it. The chessboard is set. The pieces are moving. When you put your faith in Christ, you can enjoy the remainder of your life on this earth serving Him. You can know thankfulness and joy and love and peace, attributes of God that He shares with us. Some of you have been kicking it around your own way for too long, and you're tired. I'm glad you're here. I'm thankful you're here. But just like Elijah told those disciples and priests of Baal in the Old Testament, choose this day whom you're going to serve. If it's going to be God, serve him. If it's going to be Baal, who represented the demonic forces of earth, serve him. You see how volatile the world is. One murderous madman controls so many people. I don't know how many people will die in Ukraine. I don't know how far he'll go to exert his will on those people. You heard the gospel already from Pastor Kevin. It's really simple. Jesus came to earth, became a man, took on the sin of humanity like taking a cancer that's in the world on himself, and he was crucified and paid for that sin. All of it. Everything in your past, everything you've done in the present, all the sin you will ever commit in the future, he paid the penalty. And it is by trust. It's what these people who are questioning him to death cannot get through their heads. In the same way you came and you plopped down in that chair and you didn't look to see if it was broken or if it was going to hold you up, you trusted it. That's how you respond to what Christ has done for you. You trust him. Let's take a moment now and just bow our heads, please. Can we just bow our heads? 
Lord, this is urgent. This is urgent. There will come a time when we can no longer look to you. There's going to come a time when this earthly life will end. And every one of us has to choose this day whom we will serve. And Lord Jesus, I pray right now for anyone listening that if they've not put their faith in you, that they would think right now. We ask it all in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Sam, I want you to keep playing. And I'm going to do something I don't normally do. You don't have to come to the front of a church to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You can do it while you're sitting in your seat. It's not the act of walking to the front of an auditorium that makes you saved. But I'm going to have an invitation right now. And anyone who may be concerned, anyone who's scared today that maybe they aren't truly saved, maybe for whatever reason it was something that you heard today, you feel the drawing of God, I pray that you would take this moment right now and come up. We're going to sing a couple of stanzas of uh, He Will Hold Me Fast, just one or two. We're not going to drag this out for very long, but... Let's sing that together. Could you bring the words up on the screen? Thank you. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold fearful path for my love is often cold he must hold me Let's pray together. Almighty God, I pray that today you would move and extend grace among us. Lord, I pray that we would not let the sun go down on this day if anyone here has not put their faith in you. And I pray that everyone has, Lord, that today would be the day. We thank you for your grace and your mercy in our life. That's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Uh, I do want to remind you that after the second service, Alan and Miriam will be available in the uh, uh, youth room to have a time to sit and talk with you, and it's called a Missions Live event. They can talk to you more about what it is they're doing. Otherwise, have a wonderful day, and we'll see you next week.